is hungry? Anybody hungry? Yes, good, because uh, we are going to have a potluck today at the community center down the road, and there will be lots of food to eat. So even if you didn't bring something for the potluck, come to the, uh, the potluck dinner. There will be lots of good food. And, you know, um, food is not the only thing that we can be hungry for. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice or righteousness, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Now, my family has had, uh, we tried to start a tradition one year, and this tradition was that uh, on New Year's Day, my family would drive to the city, and we don't usually go to the city that often, but we would go to the city, Kansas City, and we would spend the afternoon, we would go to um, all the, the stores that we love to go to, we'd go to a music store and play all the new instruments, and we would go to a, a pet shop and look at all at all the, the animals that Jessica wouldn't let us have. And we would spend this time as a family um, doing fun things. And then after the afternoon was, was almost over, the last thing we would do was we would go and eat a huge meal, eat out on the town. And we always chose a Chinese food restaurant and the buffet kind of a restaurant uh, because we had saved that we were starving at that point. And at a buffet, you can eat a lot of food. Now, I have six kids, and so at that point, it was really expensive, at least as far as my budget was concerned, really expensive to pay a bunch of money for my whole family to have Chinese buffet. So I made sure to tell my kids, kids, make it count. Eat every dollar's worth of food that you can. I'm not paying $100 for us to eat half of a plate. You better go back for thirds and fourths. We're going to get our money's worth. And so we would uh, we'd get our plates and we would start eating and eat and eat and eat. And boy, by the time we were done, even from, from small Flint, whose belly would no longer fit in his shirt, up to me, we were stuffed with this really good food. And oh, it was good. Seemed like a good idea to stuff ourselves. Then we would load back up in the van and head home. And about 15 minutes out of the city, I'd be like, oh, I've got kind of a headache, and I'm, I'm a little tired, you know, and I, I look over at my wife thinking, well, sh can she drive, and she's already out, you know, she's sleeping, and I look in the rearview mirror thinking, well, one of my kids, maybe they can, they can keep me up, and, and they're all out, you know, most are sleeping, and there I was on my own. Um, man, it seemed like a good idea, though, to just stuff ourselves on what we had been craving to eat a lot and as satisfying as we thought it was going to be, you know, to get our Chinese food fixed for the year. At that point on the way home, it wasn't so satisfying. And it didn't seem like the best idea like it we thought it was going to be. Well, we're in the middle of a series that's called Serious Learning. We are um, learning what Jesus taught. The Beatitudes are some pretty serious statements made by Jesus. And so we've been studying those, trying to understand them, by using different people in the Bible as examples. 
First, we uh, studied Zacchaeus. He was an example of blessed are the poor in spirit. And then Mary and Martha were an example of blessed are those who mourn. And last week we studied David. He was an example of blessed are the meek. So who comes to mind when you think of a person in the Bible who hungers and thirsts for righteousness? At our small group the other night, uh, Danny reminded me of a couple of dudes that I think do a good job at showing us what it is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Rabbi, ah, you couldn't wait, could you? Yes, sorry, we just uh, wanted to speed a few things up, if that's okay. By all means. The Jewish boys are far from home. Yes, as a matter of fact, we are. Shalom to you, too. Here's our traditional Jewish greeting for you. That was a warning. Try it again and see what happens. Quiet, Jesus. So long to you too. You filthy dogs! I said quiet. Let us do something. And what would that achieve? Defending your honor. They revile and humiliate the They deserve to have bolts of lightning rain out and incinerate them. Yes, fire from the heavens. Fire. You said we could do things like that. Say the word, and it would happen. Why not? We knew we couldn't trust these people. We shouldn't have come here in the first place. They don't deserve you. Why do you think I had you work next to me? What was I trying to teach you? To help? You think it was just to be more helpful? Or to be better fun? It was to show you that what we're doing here will last for generations. What I told Fotina at the well, and what she then told so many others, it's sowing seeds that will have a lasting impact for lifetimes. Can you not see what's happening here? These people that you hate so much are believing in you without even seeing miracles. It's the message, the truth that we're giving them. And you're going to get in the way of that because a few people from a region you don't like were mean to you. That they're not worthy? Why, you're so much better. You're more worthy? Well, let me tell you something. You're not. That's the whole point. It's why I'm here. wanted to use the power of God to bring down fire to burn these people up? Well, it sounds a lot worse when you say it that way. You too. You're like a storm on the sea. 
thunder exploding out of your chests at every turn. <laughs> Back. That's what I'm going to call you from now on. James and John, the sons of thunder. The sons of thunder. James and John were so intense. So zealous, you could see it in that moment. They were so zealous for the righteousness of God to be recognized and respected that they were outraged when people of a Samaritan village would not welcome Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verse 54. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? They hungered and thirsted for righteousness so much that they attempt to, attempted to satisfy their own cravings themselves. And they pretty much choked, probably felt a little bit sick when Jesus rebuked them. At the time, they felt like it was the right thing to do, but then, well, it wasn't such a good idea after all, it's not satisfying them after they said what they had said. The whole concept of Jesus' teachings in the Beatitudes is, is upside down from the world's way of thinking. In Jewish culture, people thought that if you were rich, it literally meant that you were blessed by God and that it was an outward sign that you belonged to his kingdom. And if you were poor, it probably meant that you weren't very high up on God's list, and perhaps some sort of sin was keeping you from being blessed by God. And also, it's, it's really counterintuitive to say that uh, you are blessed if you mourn. Not many of us consider it a huge blessing to lose a loved one. And, as a matter of fact, in a dog-eat-dog -dog world, it doesn't make sense to be meek. If you want blessings, then you need to fight your way to the top, take control, go after what you want, be strong, and use your power for your gain. But Jesus flips these ideas upside down. Worldly wealth, it doesn't matter because what good is it if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? So blessed are those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for God because the kingdom of God is theirs. And, and blessed are those even though they mourn because through Him we have the comfort of life after death, being reunited with loved ones and living eternally with no more pain, no more tears, no more death. The comfort of the resurrection is a blessing since we live in a world where sin entered and brought death. We will experience grief and sorrow and mourning, yes, but we are blessed by our hope in Jesus and his free gift of eternal life. And harnessing our power by submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit and exercising patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control produces the meekness that God blesses. 
I think of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Not all glory, or now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Jesus teaches us to look at things from God's perspective, where God is God and we are not. We should stop looking for blessings in the same places or ways that the world seeks them. The blessings the world is after are wealth and health, power and control. As the disciples of Jesus, we need to unlearn what the world has taught us. And we need to be in the process of relearning what Jesus teaches us. Relearning that Jesus is the blessing. Do you want the gift in the giver's hand? Or do you want to know the giver? Are you content with being healed? Or do you want to know the healer? Do you want to be right? Or do you want to be happy? Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. You know, uh, blessed or blessed can also be said as happy. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So what upside down lesson can we learn from this beatitude? Have you ever known one of those people that just have to be right or, or they like very much to be right? Uh, maybe you're that type of a person. And I don't mean to pick on you at all, uh, but, you know, sometimes those kind of things, wanting to be right, is what you think makes you happy. And so you will argue and argue until the sun comes up trying to prove that you are right about an issue. And sometimes you might be right, sometimes you're not. But even in the times that you are right, usually that kind, of, uh, that kind of argument doesn't produce anything but arguing and fighting. Arguing and fighting it doesn't produce the happiness if you win. A lot of religious people can get hung up on the righteousness part. John the Baptist was very vocal about standing up for righteousness. He wasn't afraid to confront those who broke the commandments of God. He was ready for a fight because he knew that the law was on his side. Matthew chapter 14 verse 4. John had been telling Herod, it is against the law for you to marry her. Now Herod wanted to marry his brother's wife and that was against the Jewish law and John Will was not about to have that. So he's speaking up about it. It's not right. Well, Herod had John arrested for confronting him about marrying his brother's wife. And you know how the story ends. John loses his life on this world and he gains it in eternity. And I wonder if John asked himself the question, would I rather be right or happy? 
in John's case, I feel confident that he was happy being right, even if it did get him killed. Let me read to you what happened right after that situation. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in the boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped out from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That evening the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that we can go to villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, That isn't necessary. You feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fishes, two fish, looked up towards heaven and, and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up twelve baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. As soon as Jesus got the news about his cousin, John the Baptist, he went to a remote place alone. He didn't get much time to mourn, though, because the crowds were following him. Remember, even though Jesus is experiencing the emotions, or even though Jesus said that uh, he is the resurrection and life, he still wept sometimes. He wept over Lazarus. And when John dies, I'm sure that even though he was experiencing loss and grief, those feelings that can tear us apart, he was probably angry about the sin and unrighteousness in the world that causes death. Uh, in the middle of experiencing these emotions, Jesus is confronted with the crowd, with the people, with the, the sinners, but Jesus didn't call down fire and brimstone on these people who were interrupting his alone time. He could have. James and John knew that he could have but he didn't. Instead, he saw them and he had compassion on them. And then he feeds them. 5,000 men plus women and children all fed and satisfied with a serving of five loaves and two fish. He fed them because he wanted them to experience the satisfaction of being filled by the Word. He fed them physically by supernatural means to show the miracle of Him satisfying us. Jesus knows very well that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He experienced the temptation of hunger when He was being tested in the wilderness for 40 days. You know, the devil was right when he said that Jesus could have turned those stones into bread and uh, satisfy his hunger. But Jesus quoted from the passage in the Old Testament 
Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for those 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For Jesus, it was 40 days, not 40 years. But he was still experiencing testing in the wilderness. God allowed Jesus to physically hunger to prove to the devil and to us that man truly does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from God. We need to be consuming God's word. When we are starved <clears throat> starved of God's word, then we tend to make righteousness about us. We think that we have the authority on what is right and wrong. We think that we know what is acceptable and what is immoral. We focus on what we see outside of ourselves, the unrighteousness in others. And so we start calling people out and giving suggestions for justice, such as raining down fire from heaven to burn them up, like James and John, the sons of thunder. Don't forget how Jesus handled these two. Luke chapter 9, verse 55. Jesus turned and rebuked them. Now, your Bibles may have a little asterisk next to this verse that directs you to a note at the bottom of the page which says, uh, some manuscripts add, and he said, you don't realize what your hearts are like, for the Son of Man has not come to destroy people's lives, but to save them. Not to destroy, but to save. Jesus wants us to hunger and thirst for his righteousness. And he wants us to come to him to be filled. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The Apostle Paul was another zealous character in the Bible who hungered and thirsted for righteousness. But here's what he learned in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort though I could have confidence in my own efforts, in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, 
but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worth, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, rather I become Righteous through faith in Christ, for God's ways of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. In our quest to gain ground for the kingdom of God, we need to check our appetite for justice. We won't find satisfaction in pointing fingers, accusing, and condemning. We won't find happiness in winning a fight just because we are right about the wickedness of sin. In fact, we don't have the power to demand justice or the right to execute judgment. James 4.12 says, God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Now, this doesn't mean that we are to excuse or tolerate sin. Absolutely not. But if you truly hunger and thirst for righteousness, invite those who are living in unrighteousness to come and be transformed the same way you were. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed us his great love by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Our righteousness is due to the substitutionary atonement made by Jesus on the cross. Now, the doctrine of substitutionary atonement is that Jesus took our unrighteousness upon himself and suffer the penalty of our unrighteousness through his suffering and death. At the same time, he gave us his righteousness. Philippians chapter 1 verse 11, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. You know, you have, you, you have reached the state of blessedness if you are living out Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21, which says, If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water drink. This is an upside down way to think about interacting with the enemies of God. 
And those are really the people we most often see as our enemies. We tend to get offended for God and wants to put people in their place. Like James and John, we can feel like Jesus' bodyguards on the lookout for those who spew hatred and who mock the Bible. And we can start to hunger and thirst for the day God will pour out His vengeance on His enemies. But God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom for our enemies. Feed them and give them water. But don't overemphasize the material provision of food and drink while neglecting to introduce them to the provider. Let's do our best to meet the practical needs of those around us, like Jesus did when he fed the 5,000. But remember to offer them the bread of life, the living water that satisfies the soul. My challenge for you today is to take this teaching of Jesus, to hunger and thirst for the righteousness and apply it to those around you who need the word of God. And my challenge, my invitation is for those of you who haven't haven't given your life over to our Lord and Savior Jesus, that you would surrender to Him and realize that those of us who are lost can be found by putting our faith in our Savior Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank You for Your Word. And I thank you that uh, we are righteous through you. Lord, help us to keep it in mind that uh, there is nothing that we can do to be right except for by putting our faith in you. Father God, we thank you so much for the forgiveness that you offer us. Lord, now that we ask you to give us the bold courage to stand up For your word, and your word is telling us to love each other, to serve each other. Lord, we thank you for that good example. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (laughs)